Hello and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders. This is the show where I speak with the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today I'm joined by an incredibly inspirational individual. Her name is Jo Portlock and she works as the Vice President of Diversity and Inclusion as well as Early Careers at LexisNexis Risk Solutions. This is a global business of 9,000 employees all focused around data analytics within financial services, insurance, petrochemicals and the aviation data market. Joe's career has spanned a range of global services and operations. Uh, She runs a global network of 35 employee resource groups. Uh, She's incredibly passionate about diversity, inclusion, fostering um, a more inclusive culture and workplace. Uh, She's also been a founding member of the Tech Talent Charter and she now serves on Dahl Global's Diversity and Inclusion Steering Committee, which we're incredibly pleased about. But she started a career in psychology, which I'm very keen to learn how uh, the uh, the career journey uh, went from, from psychology right the way up to uh, the senior position that she's now in. Jo, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's so great to have you here. And- <laughs> have a chat with you finally I finally coaxed you into doing a podcast with me (laughs) (laughs) well we have lots of chats but yeah this is the we don't record them all (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly but I and it's funny because I know we talk very often but my goodness this morning I was looking through your background I was just like oh my goodness it has been it's been a pretty epic journey hasn't it uh, with the various different sectors that you've worked in but then coming out of doing organizational psychology tell me about how 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 the journey has been when you kind of when you sit back for a moment and reflect or, or do you reflect and think oh my goodness come such a long way oh gosh yeah so I think I think with my career some of it's luck some of it's judgment and some of it's just you know the opportunities that have come I think when I did psychology so um I didn't I didn't really have a plan I just basically thought of my A-levels I did which one did I like the most which was uh which was clearly psychology and applied to go to university to study that further I had no career plans at that point and then uh to be honest at the end of my degree I had no career plans and didn't know what to do so I thought I'll just take it that next step further and do and do a sort of more detailed degree or master's degree in organizational psychology so essentially sort of business psychology it's quite weird now because I almost feel like I use more of my degree now than I did in the previous 15 years because I sort of then left university and started working as a temp in HR and then just sort of found my feet and built up a career for, for sort of over 15 years in in sort of more generalist HR so it's only really in the past sort of, I don't know, four or five years that I've actually think, oh, I'm actually using some of what I learned before around things like bias, judgment and decision making, motivation, psychological safety. Um, and I've still retained some knowledge. That's good. I haven't quite dusted off all my university books, but um, use it more and more in terms of uh, thinking about how to approach diversity and inclusion because essentially it's about people it's about influencing it's about understanding people and differences and it's about understanding you know how we make decisions in the workplace that 
hopefully advance diversity and inclusion but we also have to be mindful sometimes some of our decisions don't do that and have the opposite effect well i absolutely relate to that i remember doing psychology at a levels and it's amazing how these uh, these random little kind of experiments that you're talking about in the textbooks you think oh my goodness that is actually so related to to what i'm doing right now um and i love the fact that you're in this vice president of diversity and inclusion role as you know well we both could talk about diversity and inclusion day in day out yet for whatever reason it is still not is still not widely known, I don't feel personally, what the role of a chief diversity officer or diversity and inclusion director is all about. Now, obviously, I'm a little biased, but I truly believe the future of uh, diversity, inclusion, belonging, equity will be chief diversity officers here over in the UK as well, following our American counterparts and those fitting as a part of the C-suite because it is such a pivotal role. So I wonder whether you could just tell some of our listeners a little bit about the multifaceted things that you do in, in your position ultimately. And I guess also, was there a moment in your career that really was a light bulb moment that you thought that is it it's diversity and inclusion for me yeah so I think it's, it's worth appreciating I sort of stepped into this role and probably naively thought oh this is great all the leaders are naturally just going to gravitate towards the importance of diversity and inclusion and soon realized that actually you have to educate people about what the, what the role is right to be honest, had to learn what the role is um, in many respects. And there's so much you can do. Probably the most painful part of year one was thinking, I can't do it all. I've actually, I'm going to have a greater impact if I could focus on three or four things, get them done really well and embedded and really sort of rip up what I thought would be a sort of three-year plan to think about it as culture change and to think about it at the moment, I think about it as a five-year change or culture change plan. Uh, I haven't quite got to those five years yet, but uh, but I'm sure when I do, I'll, I'll be then thinking, OK, well, what, what's next? How do we continue to embed it? And uh, the role just becomes um, a change from doing more stuff to actually embedding. But I, I think you have to go through, <clears throat> excuse me, that process of really thinking about, OK, so what what does diversity mean? It feels like the most obvious step where are we less represented. What does our data show us? How fair and equitable are our processes? Does our recruitment process suggest that we're going to improve? Does our talent process or talent succession suggest that our representation is going to improve because we've got the talent? We just need to create the opportunity and sponsorship for that talent to move. But then you also get into discussions around inclusion and the culture. And I know many DNI practitioners sort of debate the debate the two. I, I strongly believe diversity and inclusion are equally important. You can't create an inclusive culture without diverse people having a voice and a platform to define that. I mean, I think if you think it's inclusion first, then who's who's deciding what that inclusive culture looks like? But equally, we know if you just focus on diversity, you you run the risk of losing your talent. Um, I sometimes say that if we look at our attrition, we can't have our efforts and recruitment sort of being outweighed or um, balanced out by high attrition. Um, so you need to obviously have that culture of inclusion. And I think even in my sort of time working on DNI, the conversations change. I mean, people talk a lot about equity, which I which I think is fantastic, and it's a really 
a good argument or debate to to be had because when I initially walked into the role I heard a lot of I just want to hire the best person for the job I treat everybody the same I treat everybody equally and I don't I don't want to be critical because my role is to educate about why that isn't necessarily best practice and I think what I've seen particularly in the last 18 months is more discussion about equity that real acknowledgement that actually the role is to create inclusion through removing barriers and noticing we all experience the world differently and we all have different needs and different desires we all have a voice in our head and it's not always the nicest voice to us and you know we bring that to the workplace um it's not just because of work we have that voice but that voice can get amplified or quietened about how we feel in the workplace And then also we're doing more around psychological safety, which I really get excited about, because if we look at our own business, two thirds of our revenue growth comes from innovation and new product. I don't think you can innovate and be creative unless you have psychological safety, because otherwise all the best ideas never get said in the room. Um, And that's, you know, that's D&I in the sense that it's around inclusion. It's about how we feel empowered. We could equally say that's about good business performance and good teamwork and best practices around product development and innovation. It doesn't exclusively have to have to sit with DNI. And I found that's a really good way to engage leaders around sort of bridging that understanding about why DNI really influences business performance. What's really fascinating that you said there was two thirds of revenue distributed to ultimately innovation and tracking it back to some of your earlier comments about how we need to embrace all of these different voices. You can see how strongly all of these different voices, all of these different thoughts you know, are not going to, I mean, if we had that that groupthink scenario, for example, how are we ever going to achieve this plethora of kind of difference and innovation of thinking, which, you know, of course, it, you know, epitomizes the fact that really diversity and inclusion is a strategic business imperative and is completely and utterly crucial uh, to good business, especially in uh, this uh, th- this modern modern world. Um, you know, picking up on, on the equity piece as well, I'm so pleased that you mentioned that because it's, <laughs> and you, I, I was laughing when you first started talking saying, uh, you know, that you'd heard people say, oh, but I treat everyone the same. And you know, I'm sure <laughs> there'll be other people who are chuckling, listening to this, thinking, hmm, yes, I've heard that from <laughs> many of our line managers. And look, it's all men in with good intent, right, isn't it? It's all men with, with good intention. Uh, and, um, and of course, we want to want to be equal and fair. But the reality is, it's not an equal and fair world. It's, yeah. You know, if we don't recognise that equity, to your point, and actually look at how we can accommodate for individuals' needs, then how are we going to achieve that true equality that we are seeking? But reverting back on, on, on something you also said was, um, you said, oh, after five years, it's kind of, you'll be thinking about what next. And it makes me think very much of the relentlessness needed in diversity and inclusion. Um, and I think this is something that many, many people don't quite get. Like, again, you know, probably you and I sit here being slightly, slightly biased. But to me, this is one of the toughest jobs in the business. 
Why? Because the Chief Diversity Officer, the VP for Diversity, the Diversity Director is responsible for so much. You know, it's end-to-end, it's mile-wide, it's mile-deep, and it's also evolving. Yeah, I think I think any DNI practitioner needs a hell of a lot of resilience, for sure. And I think when I've uh, kind of you know met up with people, I, you're actually you're making me smile because you're making me think about pre-pandemic when I bumped into uh, a friend of mine who worked in DNI M and in Waterloo, and she was just nearly in tears. And she's like, "You just need so much resilience to do this job." And she's like, "I'm nearly 40." I'm not going to change. I'm fed up of hearing the feedback that I need to change when it's the business that needs to change. And, you know, I just gave her a big hug and said, everybody feels like that working this job. It's really tough because it's hard work. I've never met a DNI person who's not passionate about the topic. So I do feel DNI people connect to the purpose of the job so passionately. Most people have personal experience, whether it's through gender, race, disability, LGBTQ, um, nationality, where they've experienced it. So it's it's such a strong sort of purpose and mission. And I just think by their nature, DNI people talk to so many people in industry, their employees. You just hear experiences and you want well, I personally do, and I think most people, you you want to make it better. You want to take that problem away from somebody and say, I've got the solution. But you also have to flip the other side, which is it takes time. Um, it is culture change. There isn't always the perfect solution. Sometimes you sadly need to notice that you lose talent and you've seen it, but the business hasn't seen it. Um, but then you'll never influence a business by just saying, I'm right, you should all be listening to me. You've really got to work with each of those leaders in the business and really understand their perspective. And like I said, when my business essentially has nine sort of brands and businesses underneath, I thought I was going to get everybody to the same level in year one. And that is just to sort of, you know, very quickly realize that's not going to happen it's all about nudging everybody further forward and understanding their start point and their perspective and you get far more done that way but uh, you know it's a it's a tough one you always feel like you're not quite doing enough you're slightly compromising um, to get things done in a corporate environment it's very different to being a consultant where sort of people naturally gravitate towards your experience you do have to always sort of balance that in the middle, which, you know, can can give you the best of days and it can give you the worst of days is, is the best way I can summarise it. Mm-hmm. When you said it's constant nudging, again, it makes me smile because that just epitomises the role, doesn't it? It's that constant evolution. And when you talked about your friends as well, it, you know, again, I just relate to it so much. And I'm sure many that are listening also do because... To your point, it's, you know, we all have a personal experience and you touched on the fact that diversity doesn't just mean one thing before you talked about it. You know, it's everything from neurodiversity, culture, gender, all of these eclectic kind of smorgasbord mix of of different things. And so actually everyone has a part to play. Everyone has an experience. And in particular, I've seen a couple who have had very difficult times because it's trauma, trauma from their past that they're then revisiting. And as you say, you just, you know, you want to, intrinsically help everyone and so having that unbelievable level of resilience and emotional emotional or almost um ei ultimately Mm -hmm. is 
I think, critical uh, to, to the success of, of these brilliant individuals within the workplace. Um, and you alluded to your friend almost having this kind of, the, wouldn't say burnout necessarily, albeit I've sadly seen, we have at, at Dial seen a number of DNI execs burn out just because of the sheer relentlessness of the role and often being sometimes under-resourced and sometimes the only individuals in the business, in particular when ERGs or BRGs are namely voluntary individuals. Yeah. What would you say, being a, a successful individual in, in DI, what would you say to anyone who's listening in thinking, oh, but no one's listening, I'm having such a tough time, is feeling like your friend at the station in London? What would you say to them? And what have been some of your real key moments of success where you've thought, right, Joe, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I think to take the latter part, um, I sort of get that in two ways. So I love, I mean, I'm a bit of a data geek and I would say data is a very good way to influence leaders. Um, so get good data and show, show them that data and ideally show them how we can trend. And then I think data is just a good language to, to get a foot in the door, um, but also explore their understanding of diversity and inclusion. As I said earlier, but, uh, unintentionally, people think it's about treating people equally. Some people take offense. You're even talking about the topic because they think you're criti criticizing <laughs> them. And yeah, most leaders in our business, they're, they're of um, a certain generation that has grown up and seen all those equality laws put into place as a solution. And now we know that equality laws are good, but doesn't mean that anything actually changes. And sometimes the law can be a bit of a sort of uh, smokescreen for we've, we've sorted the problem now and it goes far more deeper and it's far more systemic. So I, I think you just need to listen to people and understand because people want to be heard. People want to be listened to and valued, whether you're a CEO or it's your first day in your first job. It's it's the same. And I think on where do you sort of build your success and, and feel satisfaction? I, I like to see the numbers. I can feel proud of some of the things we can, we've can we achieved. Some of the things, it's a slow burn and that's a frustration. We particularly know around our race um, and talent and senior representation and to some extent gender as well. The thing I can't control is the mobility of talent. We have great people and we have good succession and I think we have a better understanding of our talents. But when people move on, that sort of mobility is a little bit out of my control. But you know what? I equally get so much satisfaction with people saying I attended a courageous conversation about race and it's the first time in my 30 year career we've ever talked about race at work. Somebody recently came out at work um uh, after you know kind of keeping their sexual orientation private for for many many years uh, and that was a really courageous act um people talking about disability and mental health um and just not feeling afraid uh, i have a wonderful person who works for me who um has arthritis um and she's young as well and she's very open about it. And she's always been criticised to say, why do you bring that to work? And she's just unapologetically herself. All those things give me almost as much or do give me as much satisfaction as, as any percentage shift in our in our numbers as well. Mm -hmm. That gave me a little chill, actually, then when you said that. It's how fantastic 
to know that people are willing to stand up and just be unapologetically themselves because to that end it is it's this this need for I know we've heard a lot about role models and things like that, but real models is often what we like to to speak about. They're real people in the organisation, which I'm not saying necessarily the, the, the girl that has arthritis, but the individuals that came out in the workplace, would they have done that without the interventions of the diversity and inclusion function? Potentially not. Curating that safe space and curating that culture where people truly can feel that they belong is so key. I think most people that I speak to, most, when you start to get to know them better, they can remember a time in business where they felt they haven't belonged or they've walked into a room and thought, Mm -hmm. oh, my goodness, I am not meant to be here. And it is breaking down those barriers, to use your terminology, that allows people to actually start to then speak up. And allowing then um, them to speak up means that other talent coming in thinks that it's okay to do so. And we all know that the future generations of leaders simply won't stand for a culture or an organisation that pays just pure lip service to this. So brilliant mm-hmm. examples. Um, and another question that I must just ask, if you don't mind, um, is obviously you worked in 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 HR which I can see there would be huge benefit in that and clearly your breadth of understanding has been superb in this role but arguably the role of the diversity and inclusion director or CDO is not actually an HR function yet still we see these trends of the diversity officer um, and no offense for anyone who is listening this is me being a little bit pro- provocative um but often these diversity officers directors report still into the people function not always i've started mm-hmm. to see some more recently that are reporting directly into the ceo talk me through why this isn't purely an hr function well i mean i i probably also like to just before i answer that acknowledge that at least there's been some change in that I think if we go back, diversity and inclusion used to report into social response, responsibility or CSR, um, mm. which I get really quite frustrated with. <laughs> so at least think HR is a step forward. And then previously, I think DNI is reported into talent, which is then reported into the HR di- director or leader for the business. So um a scene movement in the DNI is sort of a center of excellence in of itself and typically reports into the, the EVP or HR director, however that's titled in the business. I guess in terms of it reporting into the CEO, I mean, that's definitely a, a trend I would love to see more of because I think it really cements that link that diversity and inclusion, whilst of course it's people um, actually is as much about driving business results through people Um, and I'm sure anybody listening to this podcast knows all the stats that it's the number one HR practice that's proven to impact the bottom line that diverse and inclusive organizations have better revenue better innovation creativity more likely to penetrate new markets so the business case is is almost like like I would find it weird if somebody felt there wasn't the business case out there for it um a couple of them out there not many but um And in the same way, I'm sure most sales directors or product leaders get tasked with sort of percentage growth on revenue. Effectively, diversity and inclusion does the same thing. 
I think one of the barriers is it's always a longer play. It's culture, which can make it less tangible. Um, it's never going to be the urgent and important task that everybody needs to focus on. It's always part of how do we enable that culture. Um, and I think to some extent, maybe that's that's sort of been the barrier to it taking that next step forward and really sitting sitting on a, on a board level in most organisations. Um, I mean, what I would say is we've got a fantastic CEO. I've got more than enough access to his time and his interest. We have committees. Um, we have an inclusion council. We have one specifically focused on, on race and ethnicity. Our ERGs have regular access to the CEO as well. So I couldn't ask any more of, of our CEO. And I, I think any other people sitting in that role, frustrated it sits within the HR function. The, the obvious places get that access to the CEO and the board um, because you, you don't necessarily need a hierarchy to influence. So I'd, I'd be um, compromising my perspective on DNI to say hierarchies are, it's all about hierarchies and job titles. That's not inclusive either. So use what you can to make that impact. Mm. That is that is a superb answer. And if anyone is um, annoyed with me for, for pointing out my desire for this link to the CEO, what I will say, because I know it can cause some um, different viewpoints, shall we say, is as Joe has said, as you have said, Joe, is it is that access and that influence. As long as there isn't blocking factors in there, as long as there are not, you know, I, I, I suppose almost internal politics that might make there that 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 slight friction um at play knowing that this is something that is not um purely hr that it is a board-wide initiative and that to be truly successful that role of the diversity officer must be ultimately mile wide and mile deep and um you mentioned there joe about the importance of engaging with ceos and another subject that i think is absolutely i mean again we could probably do another whole podcast on this um is is critical uh, without my opinion, my humble opinion, without the CEO buy-in, diversity initiatives are never as successful. I'm not saying I don't agree completely with bottom-up initiatives, but they're faster um, going down from the top. Would you agree or would you think there are, I don't know, other factors at play? I know it's, uh, you know, again, it, it's a subject of debate that when I bring up sometimes people say, no, 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 it's, it's from the bottom up. I say, no, it's the data proves it's top down ultimately, but interventions at every level. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the beauty of D&I is everybody's got a different opinion on how to best okay. do things uh, and and there's validity in, in all different perspectives. I'm I'm a believer it's got to come from the CEO not just to drive the change, but but I see the employees expect it almost. And mm -hmm. some conversations I have with employee resource groups and different employees are like, is the CEO gonna gonna make a stand? Are they gonna say something on this topic? But I also think, you know, that that is sustainable and that really kickstarts initiatives, but it's got to filter down as well. So it's got to go down to the next level and the next level. I quite like the view that you really engage the senior leadership, CEO and their directs 
and you sort of mobilize employees and then everything else gets squidged in the middle to change. Um, but I'm sure other people would argue that line managers make most of the people decisions in any organization and uh, line managers are really the decision makers on recruitment and talent, which are two of the biggest things that that really sort of galvanize the, the impact of diversity and inclusion. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, it was interesting to draw on something you formatively said around um, the expectation of employees to see uh, the piece from senior management. I you know, again, again, concur, you know, we've started to see uh, with a lot of global organizations, there be this significant trend for CEO activism, and senior leaders being expected to speak out. Um, you know, we're, we're far beyond those days of white kind of ivory towers where execs could sit in the corner corner office and and, and gaze upon employees without speaking out it's almost the perception we've heard people say you know silence is violence in particular with such incredibly pressing societal issues are expected to be beacons of of change to Mm. your point yeah absolutely i think um i think around social Um, topics let's say or or, um, social justice it's more an expectation that your business has a stance around that Um, we've seen that particularly around race I think we're increasingly seeing that around transgender rights that um, the narrative is effectively usually racist usually transphobic homophobic um, misogynistic so if you don't say anything you go with a narrative that naturally works against uh, less represented groups um, and so I will I definitely think that is is a trend that will keep going that there's an expectations that companies have to stand for something around this they have to make a stance um, I know we just come out of pride month and it's always a good example but you need more than a, a rainbow colored coffee cup to make a difference around LGBT rights and and people naturally question what are you doing for the rest of the rest of the year similar with Black History Month International Women's Day they're they're great to acknowledge and um you know I'd be lying if if I said we didn't do stuff around those as well but there's always pushing what's our continuous agenda to really make an impact in the broader organizations that we we serve and and broader countries and customers that that we work in as well in indeed and not saying everyone doesn't love a rainbow mug, but it absolutely, I mean, that LGBTQ plus and pride is a really great example that, that you brought up there because you look at what it, I mean, you know, it was illegal um, to have same-sex marriage not too long ago. It was LGBT, it's LGBTQ plus, LGBTQ plus IA. It is that constant, constant evolution um, to ensure that we are pre-planning, as you say, when there's expectations for, for an activity to happen around, say, Black History Month and many of the other um, important pivotal days of the year it becomes strategic planning almost because I don't know if it's me getting older but these years just go incredibly quickly and you're kind of just like oh my goodness it's upon us already <laughs> um, but a lot can happen within that space of time so I must um, get into the uh, the lightning round because I'm actually looking at the time thinking oh, we covered <laughs> things and I could 
I mean, every time I speak with you, we could, you know, get into the the very geekiest of kind of data analytics when it comes to DNI, <laughs> <laughs> the juicy subjects. Um, but I got to ask um, a couple of lightning round questions before we finish up because I know that you have many things to be doing. I'm going to ask a couple. Throughout your career, or in fact, actually, your your personal life, who have been those real like inspirations? Could be heroes, sheroes, books, quotes. What have been and who have been inspirations to you as you have made it to where you are now? Well, I, I think within my career itself, we've all had great managers who really get you and really push you forward and really sponsor you. I, I'm a big believer in sponsorship uh, and advocate for you. And you almost know, particularly as the past 18 months uh, working from home, you see those calls in your diary and you see who it's with. And there's the people that you think, oh, they're going to drain my energy. And then there's other people you think they're going <laughs> to build me up. And I'm just going to love that conversation. And actually, it's it's a true reflection of psychological safety because you just naturally feel like, oh, it's with that person. That's great. We're going to have a great conversation. We might not actually agree. It's not necessarily about agreeing. Um, actually, I have better conversations with people I disagree with in a positive way. Um, but I think throughout my career, I've, I've actually learned from so many different people. There's people I truly admire and want to sort of be like and have, have tried to think about they're really good at this. And I want to think about not without changing my personality, how I can be more like them or dial up a little bit of what what they do um but then equally we do learn from the people that we don't get on with and uh we tend to do that more yeah. reflection but it's an important learning uh where we've all had managers who just didn't get us let's let's chalk it up to that do you want me to answer sort of externally as well or yeah definitely i love you made me laugh so much show it's it's uh, you're definitely one of those people in my diary <laughs> <laughs> that makes me feel great great way to start the day but it's uh yeah I'm sure there's lots of people listening thinking god I relate to that there's kind of mm. a stomper in my diary later I'm thinking oh god anyway yes go ahead sorry uh I guess externally look I mean women stand on the shoulders of so many amazing historical women who've achieved so much and the journey is still there but it's easier because of, of some of those amazing women. There's too many women in history and um, uh, that I could mention. Um, so I think I'll give you a more current example. I'm a huge um, admirer of Jess Phillips, the Labour MP. Uh, she's just so unapologetically her, and I think that's amazing. And I think Westminster must be the hardest place to be unapologetically you. I'm a sort of, uh, I'm a believer in politics. I think it's frustrating. I think it is the way to make change happen, but it's also the thing that blocks change as well. But I just love how she she just says, you know, I'm not privately educated. I'm not posh. I don't wear a suit. I might not know all the Latin and jargon I need to, but this is what people really want from politics. And I'm just going to say it as it is. And I just, you know, I think the, that authenticity is just so admirable. Here, here. Absolutely. And finally, I wonder if you could go back in time and talk to the the super young Joe who's kind of embarking mm. on this. Ooh, what do I do after this psychology degree? Or maybe it's even before that. 
I wonder what you might say to your your younger self if you were to give yourself advice. Or in fact, if there's someone who's listening into this thinking, you know what, I'd love to be where Joe is one day. Oh gosh, well, I'd probably, I'd firstly tell my younger self to think about networking and sponsorship because I never did. I almost sort of, I got given that advice and thought, well, that's just unfair. If people don't notice I, I work hard, then that's on them and, and it's not on me. It was actually, let's be honest, it's, that's not the case. And you need to build up good networks of mentors and sponsors. And you need to, people want need to want to work with you, right? There's no point in being right in theory or on paper or having the best strategy on paper that people don't engage with. Um, so I would have liked to maybe, but you learn as you as you go forward, but maybe have thought about that more intentionally. I also strangely think in my early career, I thought everybody felt felt and thought the same. It's ironic now that I work in DNI where I just constantly think about the opposite, but I probably should have appreciated that a bit earlier in my career that actually people think differently and there's huge value in that. I probably would have got more frustrated with that when I was sort of 20 years old, um, that people just don't follow process or people just don't do the right thing. Whereas now, it's still frustrating, of course, but I think there's there's some value and that's a data point that you should really take the time to understand because you can always learn from anybody in the business uh, for people who think differently you know society is quite pretty polarized at the moment and it feels like there's this sort of tiny narrow lane of the right opinion and um, I don't like that I think we're stopping dialogue and I think dialogue and conversation is something that can be truly valued and it, it makes you better as a person as well. So thank you so much and super inspirational note to end the podcast on. Um, I normally summarise some of the key learning points, but I think we've talked about so much. Um, So I'm going to pull literally a few pieces out here. Um, Some of the things that I have learned, I thoroughly enjoyed this podcast and I hope everyone else has too. But the importance of the role of the Chief Diversity Officer and the Diversity and Inclusion Directors, it's mile wide, it's mile deep. We know it's a strategic priority and the importance of equity removing those barriers so that we can get to equality at the same time if you are um, suffering from this uh, this feeling of swimming upstream all the time reach out networking as joe says is an absolute critical importance and i think having um, and fostering um the sense of of um learning from your peers as well it is how we will move the dial uh, dial faster particularly enjoyed the fact that uh, joe talked through diversity being something that relates to everyone this rich intersectionality is something that every single one of us have a part to play in and um, finally ensuring that we really have both mentors and also sponsors people who are going to help us up when times are tough and that we can and on the shoulders of those individuals to hopefully get where we need to be, which collectively is great for business. Um, but this is an evolution. It's not something that is going away anytime soon. So absolutely critical that we keep the momentum, we keep the positive mindset and um, continue to be tenacious because uh, this role is making such a profound difference to business and future generations of leaders. Joe, thank you again ever so much. No, thank you. Thank you. Really enjoyed it.
My name is Leila Mackenzie Dallas, founder and CEO of Dahl Global. You've been listening to the superb uh, Joe Portlock from LexisNexis Risk Solutions. We'll put all of the dialogue into the show notes. If you've missed anything, don't worry at all. You can check out Joe uh, within our community on our app or on LinkedIn. Visit the app store, Dahl Global Network, uh, to uh, to join or speak to us about the insiders community. Uh, you can also visit uh, the podcast and subscribe on Apple or Spotify. Spotify, your favorite podcast app. Um, and finally, you could check us out online direct at www.dalglobal.org forward slash podcast. Take care and we'll see you again very soon.